Welcome back to Set the Table. This is the first episode of Set the Table in 2021, so for any returning listeners, uh, happy holidays, happy new year, and we hope that 2021 is finding you well. This is going to be episode 26 for Thursday, January 14th. I am John, and with me is Jack. Hey, how's it going? It is going well. We ironed out some sound stuff before the episode, but if we get any of that in here, I will do my best to deal with it. Um, so I'm doing good, yeah, I don't know, it was a, it was a good New Year's, um, it was a good Christmas, we didn't get to travel around and see as many people as we would have liked, but it was nice to see the people that we did, and everyone in my circles, my social circles, is safe and healthy, so... I am grateful for that and ready for another year of Set the Table. How about you? Uh, yes. So most of the people that my social circles are your social circles since we're family and all. Yes. So, uh, yeah, everyone everyone is uh, kind of healthy and, and, and well, so that's, that's a blessing. And then uh, I did get to do some ice fishing in Torval Tor, which is one of my favorite uh, holiday activities. So that's you're, you're uh, talking never winter. Never winter, like, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm talking about never winter in the Dungeons and Dragons MMO. Um, there's three activities that you can do. There's ice fishing and fighting demons on a frozen lake and then bobsledding. And um, I like two out of three. The fighting demons doesn't feel Christmassy to me or holiday to me. So not really, but it's uh, fun to, to slide around on the ice. There's some physics to play with. It, I, it, I think it would have been better if it would have been something a little silly, like a food fight with 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 dwarves and elves, or snowballs. Like, I don't know. A snowball fight would have been cool, and you have to like knock so, other players down. Yeah, that would have been good. Or a fight or something. But not real. I mean, so I'm I'm leveling a new character, and I wasn't high enough level to do anything in that <laughs> part of the. So it's like, right. you know, yes, this is this is a gimme for high level for end gamers, but darn it, I feel I feel left out. But anyway, a little bit. Um, I learned this year it, that you shouldn't be on a mount when you do the race. Oh yeah, yeah. I you have way more directional control as a person. Also, you shouldn't strafe. You should just look. I never ah. tried any of that. I had always done it mounted, and I was always like struggling to get to things, trying to strafe over. And I saw some Reddit post that was like, "Try it without a mount and don't strafe." I was like, "Wow, what a game changer!" Anyway. Uh, enough about Neverwinter. Um, I haven't even introduced the topic oh, for. I haven't even introduced the topic for the session yet. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dangle that carrot on a stick a little bit longer so we can get through our recap as well. Um, we for a while we've been playing Seven C on Wednesdays and we have been taking a break uh, for that for probably about a month. Um, we're still thinking about what we're going to play next, although we talked about Werewolf. Um, we did. But I don't know what the schedule we... looks like for that, and I, I put some stuff in the notes, but none of this is needs to be, you know, podcast conversation, just scheduling with our people and 
Um, sure. We can talk more about that on the scheduling episode, but <laughs> otherwise, um, who knows what's going to happen with that group. But stay tuned. We'll do something. Um, have you played it all over the holidays? Uh, yes, we did. So we finished the Painter and the Pirate Module 1. Oh, excellent. And the, the group started, I think we've had two sessions, maybe three sessions, actually, of... Um, the faux marquess that's the second chapter of the painter and the pirate story arc and um, very good name this this crew did a very different they had a very different take on um although the the big navy dramatic you know navy battle that i set up at the beginning of the story i tried that again to see if it would work and it totally did not work I don't know that I recall a large navy battle at the beginning. So at the at the very beginning when the the heroes are sailing into Royha or Porto del Sur or whichever city Oh, they oh yes. The, I recall. The new Akalde of Verde Cabos and his men are being pushy and telling and disobeying the laws of seamanship and threatening you with cannons to get out of their way. And um, that uh, there was an interaction with the ship. Uh, some heroes rolled a lot of successes and wound up oh, uh, acrobatically swinging from their ship to the other ship as it was going by. Uh, and then they, they turned it into a dramatic scene, basically. Nice. So they also mitigated that combat. Nobody wants to fight there, huh? wants to fight at the beginning of the story i thought it would be like a cool you know almost kind of like some of the newer pirates of the caribbean movies this big but nope, nope they didn't so um they are progressing through the story they they are being more helpful uh with the marquess with with, with the, the amnesia patient right uh, yeah um, well because my character wasn't really how- yeah, it's cool to see how how they are playing through it. I had a couple of people change characters, um, and they were happy. They've been happy so far. That's always we we might want to put that on as a show, uh, helping players find the right character or changing characters mid story kind of thing. So so yeah. So the seventh C, my Monday seventh C recap. Um, they are. Working with one of the villains against, so so in that story there are two opposing forces. Both of them are fairly villainous, um, and they've kind of run away from both of them. And um, they have the 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 escort NPC uh, starts the game mute, and now she can speak, um, and she has made them her official musketeers and she's going to go to this island to try and figure out if that's really where she's from uh and and then um and then if that's not where she's from then she'll go with them um to to this to this other island to see if that's her husband and her daughter she doesn't remember anything of course because she has amnesia so can are you i'm going to ask a lightly spoilery question so sure. if if you are really holding out on 
uh, getting the completely unspoiled novel version of uh, Module 2 in this 7C adventure that Jack is writing, then skip ahead about a minute. Um, so here we go. Give you one, two, three. All right. Are they... Are you revealing the memory as quickly as you did with ours? Because I remember that was a comment that you had was like, oh, I wasn't going to give you the mirror. I wasn't going to have her have her memory back as soon. What's your plan for that? 30 seconds to go. (laughs) It was three sessions without her speaking. They didn't give the comb to her until after they got her away from both uh, the Akalde and the Marquis. Ooh, okay. So I am much more slowly, and I haven't given any hints about how to help her with her fear of the ocean. Okay, tremendous. So this is spoiler-free zone. Thanks for joining us here about a minute later. Go ahead. Cool. Now, so how's your how's your five E campaign going? Okay, so um, we uh, had one. We took one week off for the holidays. Uh, one of the weekends, we couldn't all be there to play the main game, and they're right in a dungeon, so I didn't want to play without somebody. Uh, so I've been doing. Um, Whenever we play an off game, for a little while, Thornton, my friend who guest showed in season one or year one, I guess, um, wrote uh, just a just a dun- the whole thing was just a dungeon. We were gonna go in, have some combat encounters, and just just to play the game. Um, I write a series of one shots on the weeks that we uh, don't play the main game that I call Tales from Ados because Ados is my universe, so we call those TFAs. Um, and so those are little one-offs that explore some other, uh, region of the world, you know, geographically, historically. Um, and I've been, I have this really cool idea to do like a slice of history with them. So like at one point in the main, like the two year campaign that we played, um, they were at a town that was under attack by orcs. And the orc attacks stopped, and they started getting attacked by demons. So they had to suss all of that out. But I want to go back to the town when the orc attacks first started, and tell them like we're gonna like you have to build a character for this, and you have to be level five, and it has to be ranger, fighter, rogue. Uh, maybe just those. Maybe just like military classes, and have them all create a character who would have been a part of the military at this place at this time and have them play through a part of my world history. Um, so that's a cool idea. But uh, So I, I do these TFAs, and so this story was a murder mystery at a inn in a northern elvish town with a blizzard raging outside that nobody can leave or they'll certainly freeze to death because it's, you know, a couple miles out of town. Um, and oh, there was uh, a- one of my... There was a horrible cowboy movie on Netflix that had that same plot. Oh yeah, it there. Yes. I don't know, like Murder Mystery, the Adam Sandler movie did it because they were on a boat. Um, yes. like it's this is Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell's in it. Hateful Eight might be the. Oh, the name of the... I haven't seen that, but it's it is on my watch list. Eh, it it was okay. Um, but I I don't know. One of my players has been asking to do like a locked room mystery like this for a while, and he was the guy who couldn't make it. So I wanted to do this one as like a play test because I haven't ever run a mystery mystery like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I did like eight to ten hours of prep 
for a three-hour session. Um, I did a full map, both by hand and then digitally, and all of my story that ended up really mattering was on four sticky notes worth of space, and wow. I wung it. Because by the time I had done the maps and all the people and all the events and little clues, I was like, I don't really know what the main story is. So or I, I had the main story on those sticky notes that I had done right at the beginning. Um, and I, I just didn't have time to flesh out exactly who would reveal which clue. So I had to wing it a little bit. But uh, I got a lot of really good feedback from that. Um, and uh, I learned a lot for when I'm going to be able to do that in the main game. Um, we did also play the main game. They are in a dungeon, so they cleared some mini-bosses. Um, and I, I got some feedback that I wanted to ask you about. And I we've been recapping for 15 minutes, so I kind of want to get to the bulk of the episode. So um, if this is going to be a longer answer, let me know what you think, and we can push it. But if you have a quick response to it, or a, a gut response, let me know. So okay. the scenario is that the main game session before the, this last one, they had first gotten into the dungeon and had fought some, some albeit pretty difficult, trash mobs, um, like monsters that are non-bosses, I guess, to, to borrow a term from games. Um, I received some feedback afterwards that that encounter was, was almost too difficult, and there was some frustration about it. Uh, so I... I left some of my dungeon bosses toned down a little bit and got the opposite reaction after this, where uh, a couple players were like, yeah, we, we could have it be a little more little more tough than that. So is, is, it, is it me? Do I just need to design my encounters a little tighter? Is the feedback unreasonable to be that bouncy? Was it just the way the dice worked? Because I did roll really good that first session for the trash and not so good for the bosses. Um, what do you think? So, so I, I, that, that was my question was how did the dice, like, was this a random number generation RNG problem? Um, it, it kind kind of a, l yeah. a little bit. I think part of it could be in counterbalance. That's why I'm, I'm, I, I, I just don't know which way to swing, I guess. Um, I, I, I usually err on the side of too hard, but when I get feedback that is like, Hey, that was uncool. Which I've gotten before. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've done that to my players a, a, new, a number of times, um, which is why I toned it back. So I, I, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm stuck in a spot. I and don't that, know. That, I don't know. It feels like a whole episode. Now that I've, now that I've introduced that as, the, as a topic, that feels like an episode. Um, and that's yeah, not, what we, not what not we were going to talk about tonight. Um, so I guess we'll leave that. You mentioned like swapping characters and helping people find a character. So, yeah. you know, we've got an episode there. Uh, we've got then, an episode here about feedback. Um, so we'll, we'll save those. Those will be our next two episodes. Um, sure. <laughs> but what are we talking about tonight? We're going to talk about narrating combat. Finally, the first episode of year two of set the table and it came up uh, a number of times in year one from, uh, I think the, the first time that it really reared its head was when Thornton was a guest, and we talked about some of that because I made some comments after he DM'd his first session that are uh, somewhat opposite what we're going to say tonight. So 
uh, we'll explain all of that as we get in there. Um, but it kept coming up time and time again during 2020. So um, we're going to hit the nail on the head tonight. And that's what we're talking about. Cool. So um, I feel like I've been talking a lot today, uh, but I'm going to do one more little bit before I let you sort of take the chomp here for narrating combat. Um, I would like to do a little PSA that at the end of episode 25, uh, we had mentioned a session zero, I had mentioned, I'll take responsibility for this, mentioned a session zero checklist and some updates to the Patreon. Uh, I had failed to do either of those, namely because we don't have a listener base enough that makes me feel super guilty about not having done that. So, um, Unless somebody really wants that and decides to tweet, I am gonna get that up at some point, uh, some point this month. So, narrating combat. Um, do you want to introduce what we mean when we're talking about that? So, so let's talk about narrating combat. Um, it is, you know, why? When does it happen? It happens when you're in combat and this 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 could actually be i think it could be narrating action i think i'd rather say it that way than narrating combat because that you know in certain systems it's yes you, you know things are going to get dicey because the the gm is going to say roll for initiative and it's like okay now we're in combat kind of thing um i like that distinction narrating action officially changed action. narrating action instead of and and most action in lots of games is combat because you you know the DM as a GM I don't narrate um, a lot. There's a lot of stuff I just kind of hand wave, right? And and there's the old joke that this is role play games are you know a, a three month hike takes five minutes and a two minute brawl fight takes three months to play. Yeah. Um, but but when you're so when you're narrating action as a as a GM, it's usually, and this is system dependent, right? This is very system dependent. But there's usually you've rolled for initiative or you've used a deck of cards to figure out who's going first. Um, you've determined your initiative order. Sure, and then you know the the first person to act acts. They usually say what they're doing. They roll some dice. And that determines the outcome of their activities. And then the next person goes, and the next person goes, and the next person goes, and the next person goes. But in um, between all of that... I thought you were going to finish that. <laughs> I, was, I was giving you the first half of that sandwich. That's okay. Um, okay. In between all of that is when you narrate action. Yes, it... Right. And that's you you've got to kind of paint a picture during this very disjointed structured act, um thing that's happening. So this the thing that's happening in the real world is I I rolled a 17 for initiative. I'm using my my dagger. I roll to hit for my dagger and then I roll some damage. And and yes, you can that that is that is combat narration. It's not fabulous, um, but it is okay. You have the highest initiative. You go first. Roll to hit. Hey, you hit. 
roll for damage. Hey, you rolled damage. Okay. Um, and, and sometimes that happens, and sometimes that's okay. And, and yeah, and, and especially if you have new players who are not used to the system, mm-hmm. that, that can be a perfectly good thing to do. I tend to make my descriptions of com- narrations of combat or narrations of action more descriptive. Um, I don't, we talked a little bit about power gamers um, and tacticians. Um, I don't like asking the GM and I, I don't like it when other players at the table ask the GM, hey, on a scale of one to 17, how hurt is that goblin? Because what are they really asking? How really asking, how much health does the goblin have left? Right, and and we don't. That's that's if you were fighting in combat, you wouldn't you wouldn't know, right? You, hey, he's bleeding profusely from a wound that I just delivered. Um, he he's getting tired. His his strikes his 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 his, his he's lowering his club. And he's limping as he tries to get away from you like that. There's ways that you can narrate that Mm -hmm. damage, right? That is not. Yeah. On a scale of one to 17, he's probably got about four (laughs) points. You know, he, he, he's, he's got four left. Right. And, and so that's. So, um, so while we're talking about narrating damage, I want to chime in. Um, and say that I I do I have sort of a numeric system for this, um, and I know a lot of people who like D and D like want tables for things. So I keep sort of a mental table where if a player deals uh, a quarter of a creature's health in a single turn uh, or greater, they will dis- they'll take a limb off of that creature. Um, and if they deal, uh, around like 10%, it'll, it'll be some, uh, break or, or more grievous thing. So, you know, you, you hear the, the femur shatter as the Warhammer strikes it. This creature has been crippled or, or otherwise hurt pretty badly in some way. Um, and sometimes that can be, sometimes that can result in, like status effects, so if somebody breaks a, a creature's leg, maybe I'll give them reduced movement speed or dismembers them, they'll deal a little less damage or, or something. Uh, I don't often do that. Oftentimes it's just to give them a, a damage number, you know, so to speak. But yeah, a quarter of their health or more is a limb, 10% or more is something grievous, and if it's just death by a thousand cuts, you know, as you look at the goblin, he has an arrow in his shoulder, several cuts across to his front. He's breathing raggedly. He looks like he would topple over at any moment. You know, what one, two, or three hit points left, you know? Yes, and but the the combat system itself, especially in Dungeons and Dragons, is is different, right? And and d- different systems have different ways of, of dealing with this. Um some systems combat, like I'm looking at RuneQuest now, um, combat in there is super deadly. Uh, and Conan, the, the Modifius D- 
2d20 Conan system is brutal. Of course, it's a Conan game, so combat's supposed to be brutal. Mm-hmm. They they even have a 12-sided die that tells you where on the body you were hit. But even something like that isn't going to have, like, you still don't use your damage numbers to tell your players how hurt something is, right? Right. I, I try not to. Right, but he, like so, he, so completely system agnostically, if you're gonna reveal that information to players, do it in a narrative way. Right. Um. So I. So what? We started talking about it a little bit. We got into narrative. So we're talking about narrating damage or narrating action. Um. What What do you narrate out of that, and how do you decide? How do you decide how much to narrate and what you choose to narrate? Do you have a, a simple way of doing that? Or is that, you know, each action dependent? So if somebody's just going to make a, a, a athletics brawn risk to leap over a fence, is it like two successes and then you describe it? They, how like So the whole process, right, I'm thinking from... Uh, and a DM who's just started, and they've been doing that, that, all right, roll initiative. Bill, it's your turn. Roll to see if you hit with your longsword. Oh, okay, you miss. Tim, it's your turn, right? Like, I, a lot. I, right. my guess is that newer DMs do that more frequently than we think. And I feel kind of out of touch because I don't necessarily remember how that felt to DM for the first couple of times outside of euphoric. So, um... <laughs> It's like, where, what do you, how do you even start that, right? So, what do you, how do you decide that you're going to narrate something? Um, it depends on the group. Uh, if it's a group of new players who are still learning the rules, I am much less dramatic and much more factual. It's like, okay, you're next in the initiative tracker, roll to hit, you need a 12. You need, roll to hit, you need a 14. Right. Hey, you hit. Cool. Now you roll damage. It's a longsword, so it's this die. And you, okay, cool. You did six points of damage to the goblin. Um, you don't. You don't also narrate that for new players. I I I tend. It depends. Usually, if the new players are just learning the system, I don't. Okay. Um, unless unless it's really unless we get to the end. Usually at the end, I'll do some kind of dramatic. I, I like to do that for new players and not to, I don't want to like disagree and start a whole thing just to give a different perspective. Um, yeah. I, I do that because I, uh, w- for a long time, a lot of the new groups that I was playing with were f- sort of purpose driven groups that I was playing with mental health or um, when I was interning with the department of labor, working with like youth who were looking for employment there. A lot of those groups the role play was more the central focus for the learning and growth that we wanted than rolling the dice and, you know, succeeding at the mechanics of the game. So totally different scenario from just playing for fun. But even if you are playing for fun, you know, a lot of DMs, especially new DMs would be like, how do I get my players to role play more? Um, Narrate for them and narrate with them. I mean, I learned to love fantasy because when I was a little, little kid, you read books to me. And then I was like, well, I want to be the one to read books. So if you start 
giving your players a little bit of that narrative, they'll start to want to contribute, I think. No, and, and that's, yeah, so so for for me, it's... Um, you definitely, you play with a lot more adult groups, too. Like, you're playing with college kids and other adults, so... And actually, these, these guys are now getting into their late 20s, early 30s, so... Shut up. <laughs> I'm part of those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, whine at me when you turn 50. I um, will. I will. <laughs> so... But yeah, so it it like it's group dependent. If the group is into it, if the group is is more, if you've got more, um, if you've got tacticians and alpha gamers and min maxers, they're gonna want numbers. Uh, and if you've got more method actors, uh, if you've got more creative narrative type people, they're gonna want more narration. What and, if what if you have a four to three or uh, four to two mix at your table. Taxi- tacticians, creatives, four to two. I, I favor the creatives because I'm a creative and I just... Okay, the tech- all right. Suck. That's so validating for me because I kind of do that too and now I oh, I feel much better. And and, and we, haven't, we haven't talked about problems with com- action narration, um, but one of the pitfalls is that you could say something during your narration that is just fluff right mm-hmm. and your tactician players or your min maxers are going to go oh wait you've got to apply the confused condition because you said uh i clobbered him with my mace and his eyes crossed he's, he's stunned apply the stun kit it's like oh man so do oh we had a Oh, I wish I remembered what episode we talked about it on because I talked about the big fight that I had at the volcano with you where mm-hmm. I had I had used in my head a an incorrect interpretation of an anti-magic zone and as soon as my players interacted with that and I said like, "Oh, your spell doesn't work." Players suddenly are like wait what do you mean what's happening what's going on what is this and want to know exactly why and what it was and we had a whole big discussion i will i don't think i remember if you listen to year one please shoot us uh, a comment wherever this is posted so that we know which episode it was but exactly yes i love that fluff to make players commit to some mechanic right oh you bonk the goblin in the head it was a blunt weapon it should stun them just say no, DMs. Yeah, just say no. I should. I should. Like, I should have led with that. I learned my lesson. You learn your. Just say no. Just say no, and and it's it's okay to to be to still. So so when you have to say no, then don't just go. Okay, fine. You know, don't don't close down and go. All right, roll your dice. You hit them. Roll your damage. Six points of damage. Okay, Betty, roll your dice. Right. No. Still narrate, just be like, look, right. I, you you hit him. So so sometimes I'll retcon if if people are like, oh, you hit him. I hit him in the head. That's a stun. It's like, oh, it, it bounced off his helmet and hit him in the shoulder. My mistake. Nice, <laughs> um, nice. The other thing with narrating combat is this is happening quickly. So, and I've I've said this in a couple of other shows. I don't let 
I tend not to let players mill about and goof off. Um, I try to balance between the, you know, I'm, I'm a whatever, right? I'm a 50 year old college professor. I've never been a matron mother. I don't know how to cast spells from Loth and I'm in a fight, right? My 600 year old character, she knows how to fight. Um, and I'm just kind of along for the ride. So that's where the dice kind of come in. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to do an attack. Okay. What kind of attack? A melee attack. Okay. Roll the melee attack. Um, right. Where, and, and I've, I've had to actually do this in a group where I had someone who was an amateur fencer and Ooh. they were playing a character uh and they were like oh no you wouldn't attack with your sword until you were much closer and it's like hey <laughs> time out what? they're playing their character you play your character yeah right um just because you the person know about fencing this person is let's see what are you you're a haberdasher okay so they make hats they don't know anything about fencing what's their weapon uh, scissors okay so <laughs> I mean that works much better in DCC, but yeah, I don't know. I should, I need to be a little more comfortable doing that, I guess. But but that's so so you have to kind of balance out the, you know, you, you want to paint a word picture. You want to, I mean, that's one of the reasons I love playing tabletop roleplay games over video games because sure, modern video games are stunning and gorgeous and fun right i play a lot of conan exiles because it's fun i want to see what i can do next right um but at some point there's a limit to what you can do in uh, a video game and there are very few limits to what you can do in a tabletop roleplay game and Mm -hmm. the graphics in my head and the smells and the sounds that my imagination conjures Right. And until like the new PlayStation 12 VR comes out, (laughs) it's not going to take that long, but I I don't think it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's there and it's, it's fun and exciting. And so that's why I do it. Right. That's why I narrate the combat. For sure. I mean, that's most people I imagine who are sitting down to play a tabletop role playing game over a video game kind of, want that sort of experience and you can get it in video right like if you're playing minecraft with your buddies you guys could be role-playing while you're doing that but part of the difference there is that you don't have like the dm gm the judge to be that fair arbiter and right it's 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 a different experience i mean it's completely playing a two-player game is totally different than playing four players around a table D&D. And even playing D&D is different from four players around a table playing Seven Wonders, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, You mentioned pitfalls of action narration, and uh, one of them can be that it is time-consuming. And this was was the comment that I had made that uh, caught Thornton's attention, was that after that session, which ended up, it, it ran about a half an hour long, which is okay. Um, I am one of the, like, two members of my group, maybe three, that would play for much longer than we choose to. But um, it, it ran a little bit long, uh, and I think part of that was due to some 
good but lengthy combat narration where, like you said, it's happening very quickly. So the six seconds that he takes to do the thing like really shouldn't take more than like maybe 10 seconds total to describe unless it's this really cool thing. But again, it's kind of system dependent where in 7C we might spend longer describing the cinematography of a scene than we would in 5E where I know it's 20 damage and I know the the giant's going to die, but I have to wait for you to finish talking about it for me to say what, you know? So, um... It can be, right? Uh, and I just, I want to, you know, reiterate that it was done well. You know, it never, it doesn't ever take away from immersion. Oftentimes, I feel like it's a little bit of a trade-off where if you're spending a little bit more time on action narration and even world narration and description and sharing that theater of the mind... Um, that it, it probably takes a little bit longer to do everything that you mean to do. And my group kind of likes that. Um, I feel like we take a little longer, and I have a, an interesting exercise that I want to do, maybe maybe next. Um, but you trade off that little bit of immersion for being able to progress a little bit more, and finding that sweet spot where you're at the the flow that all of your players want as far as pacing and you, that everyone at the table wants as far as pacing and um, description, that's your that's your sweet spot, which is tough to find. I, I don't I don't know if you have any ideas about what you'd say to someone trying to help them find that. It's I don't know that I have much outside of you have to you have to DM and that's one of those things that you have to learn by experience, which is part of why we did this in year two. Yeah, no, that's to 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 find that equilibrium is it, it that that's that's your job as the gm right um one of them one of many one of one of the jobs is the as a gm and sometimes you do it and sometimes you don't and sometimes you have a group that has great equilibrium and then something throws somebody's right somebody's tired somebody throw off the emperor's groove threw off the emperor's groove uh you can't throw them <laughs> Right, and then so so that oh, you just triggered uh, something I wanted to say. The one of the other <laughs> potential pitfalls with combat narrate action narration, especially combat, is that it can get silly. You've thrown off the emperor's groove. I'm going to throw you out the window. This skit has gotten quite silly, and if it gets continuously more silly, I should be have to stop it. Stop it! You put your sword right through his head. I didn't mean right, and of course. <laughs> A player who's well-versed in Monty Python, as soon as you say, you put your sword right through his head, will say, well, I didn't mean to. Yep. <laughs> didn't mean to. You rolled an 18. Of course <laughs> you, you meant rolled an 18. Of course. I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't call that a, most, I, my group likes a lot of that stuff, so. That's, that's silly. Yeah, no, and that, and again, that's, that goes back to equilibrium. If you have a group that likes that silliness mm -hmm. um, from time to time, then that, that's good um if you have a group that's a little more serious they, they might not appreciate that but that's and that could that could drag you off right if you're in the middle of a combat and you're like you put oh, your sword yes. through his head oh, I didn't mean to. oh what are you gonna do next kick the bride in the chest it's like <laughs> and and now it's like and, wait and now five minutes later you the dm regain control of your session right now yep, that happens again, 
losing that control is okay. Letting letting go of that control is okay if the players are having a good time. But if the right, players, right. if two people out of six are reminiscing about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and the other, the rest of the table is like, okay, um, whose turn is it? You know, we've my group has a in most of my groups we have kind of a strict. I don't want to say a strict, but a, a fairly tight schedule because people are working and and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's not that we don't want to goof around and have fun. We do. That's why we're playing the game. But we want rigidly defined areas of goofing off, and and sometimes that can get too much. Yeah. No, my group likes to be schedule-y, but I we we did have I did have a, a session, um, this past one, not the not this one but the one beyond where i got some of the negative feedback about uh the difficulty of a uh, mob encounter um there uh, one the player who had later went on to give me the feedback about the encounter uh was referencing the encounter in character like oh my gosh do you guys remember those things we fought um and one of my other players was like can i finish my turn now? like it got to a point where it was a little bit too uh, out of character. Um, and yeah, man, I don't know. I guess I just need to be more direct about that, huh? So how do you do it? I, I, I don't know. I'm too... I'm, I want everyone to be happy too much to tell somebody to cut their shit. Mm. I think is my problem. Because uh, a lot of this, like, I don't know, I, I I am very receptive to feedback. I, you know, tell my players, message me on Discord anytime, and several of them do, and we talk about little pieces of, you know, their gear, or their special items that I made them, or little bits of their backstory that they want to come back to, or parts of the sessions that they really liked or didn't like. Like, I, I talk to all of them, and uh, when I start to get feedback from any of them, I... I hear it out completely uh and i offer my honest thoughts in response um and and i i you know i have the conversation about it and i try not to be uh i I really really try not to be well this is how i do it at my table so deal because i want to explain to people like the the monster didn't attack you because i want i wanted to kill your character like I have to, I don't know, I guess I have to explain a little bit of that distancing sometimes. Um, gotcha. And I, I don't know, I got people who are really in, really into the game and really into their characters, and I, I love the commitment, so it's, uh, you so, know, yeah, I don't know. I just got to put the kibosh on it. Let me rephrase my question. How do you get good at narrating combat? Um, practice. Practice is good. I yeah. like practice. Yeah. Uh, so I. So so I. Oh, there. You go um, ahead. I do a lot. I do a lot of fantasy reading, right? Appendix N. Um, mm-hmm. And there are some great authors, fantasy authors, who write combat scenes that are fantastic. Really good. Uh, really good. Fritz Lieber comes yes. to mind. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, so and I oh I want to jump in. I know we talked about. Baffert and the Grey Mouse are an awful lot last couple of episodes, and I'm going to knock it off, I promise. But I was talking to Callie 
uh, my girlfriend who plays in my D and D group, um, about the way that he has written those books. And boy, I figured it out. There's no fluff in any of it. And at the same time, you have like a very rich, vivid description of the world and the characters in it and the actions they take. Like the combat scenes are very richly described, but there is no unnecessary, not no fluff, right? There's story, but there's no unnecessary fluff. Like there's no, they spent three days gathering their clothing and walking. And along the way, they had this chat and they made, it's like, Fefford and the Mouser departed at different times from different gates at the city and three days later arrived at the cave. And, like, one sentence is, like, three chapters from a different book. Um, yes. Yep. Being concise in your descriptions and, like, vividly concise is what you're going for, and it's going to take you a long time to realize that you don't have to say, you know, you fire this powerful arrow that streaks across the sky and screeches through the metal plating of the goblin's armor and he howls out in pain as he clutches his shoulder like you fire the arrow with deadly precision impaling the goblin in his shoulder he scree he squeals in pain like you'll get to that point but it is i don't know it is all practice and 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 then just practice and an observation look at how other people have done it like lots of social learning Bob uh, R.A. Salvatore. Writes tremendous combat. Really like his stuff. All, all the Drist books, like Drist is a swordsman, and and it's almost too much. Um, that That's what so, I was talking about with the Fritz Lieber stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I, th- I think Lieber, from again, I grew up with Fritz Lieber, and, and, um, and who's the other one? Uh, C.S. Lewis. The so other C.S. one. Oh man. Sleep are the are the two combats that I really like. I like R.A. Salvatore. The problem is he is so descriptive in the sword fighting. Like, you know, he sweeps inside to the lateral. I mean, it's he doesn't use medical terms. I, I popped a medical term out there, sorry. But it's like, you know, right, he was the inside of the left leg. Up to the left, and it's like shit okay so are they facing each other he's doing and in my mind it kind of slows down my reading because i'm trying to see where twinkle went versus where um that's one of drist's swords right icing death and twinkle mm-hmm. um oh i know but and and he, he's describing it as as the swords are moving right to left up and down cro- transverse crossways and it just gets very it's very detailed and and I and and I probably will never get to that level uh, when I narrate combat. I will not be uh, an R.A. Salvatore level combat narrator. Part of it is because it's for me. It's it slows me down, so I'm worried that I'm slowing everybody else down. Um, yep, I agree. But but yeah, so that would if if you want to see it done well, do that. Read read those books. Um, Watch, watch the movies, watch the Lord of the Rings movies, or yeah. as much as as much as you may not love that I'm going to say it, watch the new Hobbit movies. They're okay. I mean, it's just, it's not the book. So. They have good combat. And you'll never believe, nobody will ever believe this, but there is a scene in one of those movies, I think it's the third one, 
and one of the dwarves is fighting a goblin or a warg on the ice, and the the goblin lurches, or the orc, whatever it is, lurches forward, and he grabs the spear, and he does this spin, kick, something move, and he ends up impaling it on the its own spear. I nice. wrote that exact combat move in a short story, like, in 2008 or 9. So... Mm-hmm. Nobody will ever believe me, but I wrote that scene or that move, and I, I don't know, I squealed when I saw it in theaters. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, um, stuff like that, I don't know. I, and that was coming off of me having consumed other fantasy and sci-fi. And we talk about fantasy way more than we talk about sci-fi, but you could watch... Uh, I don't know, The Mandalorian or Star Wars, um, Aliens. Alien, uh, Terminator, like any of the classic sci-fi Running. movies. Running Man is really good. Um, I haven't seen RoboCop. I don't know if that's appropriate to suggest or not. This one's okay, yep. Uh, Blade Runner? Blade Runner would be fabulous. Right? It's... So, like, there's, I don't know. It's It's the same way that we draw from our inspiration, so... Episode 14 was improv skills, and you could go back and listen to that if you wanted a whole lot more about, you know, how to pull stuff out of your proverbial behind. Um, and shoot, what was episode, what was uh, inspiration? Episode 20? Yeah, I think yep. that was 20. I think so. Um, <clears throat> and just so, so one of the things I'll tell folks if you're gonna, if you're looking at making your combat narration more, more better, more better, um, learn about the weapons that your characters are using. So, mm-hmm. right, good take. A, a crossbow bolt isn't gonna leave a slashing, right? And and modern. RPGs are good because there's crushing damage and piercing damage and slashing damage, right? So, you know, a piercing wound isn't going to have a big gush of blood. Right. Right. Um, Where an axe is, a mace is going to leave contusions, bruises, right? And Mm -hmm. and again, you don't have to be... Bruises is fine. Expert, right? Um, But that's not... It's Look into that. Uh, especially for the more modern games, right? Nothing's more frustrating than um, for me when I'm playing Call of Cthulhu and my revolver's out of bullets and one says, I'll throw you a magazine. It's like, <laughs> don't take magazines. Magazines are an automatic pistols. <laughs> with- this, is, this is like you when you guys were playing, uh, what is it, Kids on Bikes? Yes. <laughs> I remember you talking yes. about the group. We're, we're going to go grab our, our phone charger. It's like, nope, not a thing. Nope. We're going to run down the corner and make a call. Do you have a dime? I don't have any money. Well, then you can't use a payphone unless you make a collect call. <laughs> and, of course, some things who have never seen a payphone in their life or have never had to make a collect call. Um, but but there is that, that kind of – as the GM, if you're GMing a system – read up on some of the do a little bit of research on the actual weapons what's the difference between a dirk and a dagger um what's a dagger is is it's got 
two two sides and a dirk is long and pointy? Yep, I think yes. Kind a of stiletto. A stiletto oh, a, is a a stiletto mm-hmm. comes to a point at the top. Yes. It doesn't have uh doesn't have the I don't know what you call it. Not tapered end, but like the not tapered end, I guess. Right. And and I've I've got a couple of books from Palladium when I when I was first starting out. I I grabbed Palladium had a book on arms and armament and it was it was an illustrated paperback book. Um you've probably seen it. It's got a green cover. Um and it was just, you know, here's a halberd, here's a falchion, here's a pole axe, here's a pole arm. Um, and it gave kind of the difference between the two, like all the different types of weapons. The, um, um, the player's handbook used to do that. I don't have a 5e one, but the 3.5 one, if you looked in the equipment section, had at least pictures of all of those things. Um, it does. The, I've got the 5e player's handbook, and it does have pictures of the equipment. I'm just... Yes, make sure you look at the, make sure you know what you're talking about, right? I'm I'm thinking about the Yeah, especially getting, if you have players who want that in your group. Like I know that if you were playing, I would want that and if if my friend Thornton was playing, like he really likes the difference between like I can't just say a pole arm cuz it's like, well, is it a pole arm or a glaive or a spear or a pole axe or whatever it is. Oh, a guise arm, is that what you said? Guisarm, yeah. Oh Those man, are cool. see, I don't know, I I don't even know. Don't stress but, uh, about it too much, but no. So so <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a balance, right? Everything here, a lot of stuff that we talk about is a balance. Um, get a good balance. So do a little bit of research and and understand what those weapons will do. Um, and and that actually that takes us back. I'm gonna go full circle. Watch this. I'm going to go full circle all the way back to session zero and goriness and graphic descriptions, right? If you've talked about, you should talk about that in session zero. Yep. Like, do your players want Hollywood style or Scooby-Doo? Like, what's the level of violence from Scooby-Doo to Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> sure. Where, right. Where do you, where do you want... You know, it's like you fell down the stairs and you you got a boo boo, or, um, you know the the mace careens into the goblin's jaw. Of there's a massive avulsion, fluid and bile and blood spill down the front of of the goblin as it falls into the mud. Uh, the the smell of his intest of his last meal uh, is on his breath. Um, right there's <laughs> work. Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot, right? And some people are like, no, that's too gory, it's too gross. I don't I don't want that. Um so so that's that's a session zero discussion that you want to have. And then you'll know, do I need to understand what happens when somebody gets hit with this weapon? And thank thanks to, you know, YouTube and uh Mythbusters Right, we, they have a whole bunch of different videos about what, how different weapons impact, or or what kind of things happen. Um, they're usually using ballistic gel. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of the YouTube video that took the Home Alone pranks and and looked at how lethal they would be. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds Kevin fun. Jail for manslaughter. 
Huh? <laughs> he he would have killed her. He would have killed those guys like in the the second or third attack. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like just like the slipping down the ice, you break your freaking spine. Yeah. <laughs> it's, have you guys seen all of the? Are you guys up to date on Letterkenny or no? Yes. Yep. Remember the episode where uh, the the girls want to play the girls hockey team. The Shamrockettes want to play the Irish when Tannis is trying to buy the Eagles. And they're talking yes. to Coach at the gym, and he's like, "Your spines are gonna snap in half." <laughs> oh man, I love Coach. He's so funny. Watch Letterkenny. There you go. Um, yep. <laughs> right. Hoof. So, so I have this fun thing that I wanted to try to do, um, and I think we're probably at a good spot to do it where we're kind of moving towards, like, you know, how how often do you do it? What degree do you do narration? Um, we we kind of talked about, you know, like, how much is too much, and to get the pacing and the timing right just takes experience. You mentioned earlier that it is group-dependent, and so I have this fun thing that I want to try, this little exercise, if you will, um, to demonstrate how DM knowledge of your group impacts your timing uh, for session planning. Um, so I have an example session written out here in the notes. I don't know if uh, if you have seen that yet, but... Um, oh, it's on the second page. Yep, got it highlighted there. Uh, you are going to DM this little one-shot session for your group, all right? They are going to wake up at camp. They're going to hike. They already have the quest. They already know each other. We're not going to do with any of that. Um, they're going to wake up at camp. They're going to hike into the mountains to find the goblin village. They are either going to... They can sneak into the village to talk to the boss and try to make peace with the town, or they can try to attack, either, you know, stealthfully or not. They're going to resolve either the goblin fight or diplomacy, which is going to take different amounts of time, but stay with me. Uh, and then they're going to return back to their, their camp and back to the townspeople. Um, you've got, I don't know, let's call it three hours. We'll say a three-hour session. How long do you think your group would spend at each of the stations? So, we're going to start with waking up at camp. My my Monday group? Yep. How long out of a three-hour session do you... So you're going to plan this one shot, right, for your group. And you're going to... You're sort of estimating how long things are going to take so that you know what to spend time narrating and what not to. Um, so based on the... Because part of that is, is DM planning, right? You're going to... You know, you want to give yourself at least a little while for the combat. Um... And part of that is knowing your group. And so I wanted to do this to sort of demonstrate how your group and my group might be very different, even though... I have to ask a question. Yep. Right off. Do they... Have they been... When do they get the decision between combat or diplomacy? When does that happen? Uh, they they were told that 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 was an option when they received the quest a week ago. 
So when they talk to the the mayor of the town that the goblins have been attacking, he's like, look, you could go up there and wipe them all out, but they've got good pig country up there. Hey, good pig country, eh? Uh, <laughs> and um, if if you could make peace, that that would be, you know, tremendous, but he doesn't think they will. Our, our jelly for their pigs. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, so waking up at camp, Unfortunately, that's going to depend. Uh, it could be 20 minutes. It could be an hour. Okay. Um, yeah, so between 20 and 60 minutes uh, waking up at the camp. Okay, interesting. It, it, it depends on who's in a mood to be chatty that night. Uh, and <laughs> it totally is. It totally no, is. No, you're, very, you're very right. You're very um, right. If somebody has, if some, if somebody was working on something from the previous adventure in a backstory, or if they're really excited about a backstory, um, yeah. So t- could be twenty minutes, could be an hour. The hike up the mountain, that's uh, ten minutes tops. Okay, ten minutes, like the, nice. Going from place to place, pff, my my group does not have, um, yeah, yeah. So so if I was if I was GMing them. Um, the the hike up the hill. I would be you. Know, you can hear birds chirping in the distance. It's kind of cloudy, but the sun's warm. Uh, the rain from last night's drying. There's a couple of you know sloppy, half muddy puddles. Kind of looks like pudding. And you're walking up the hill, and yeah, they they don't have a lot of patience for that. Okay. Um. Yeah, they're they're not looking for those big sweeping narration kind of things. So I always just do it like a cinematic. Sure. Um, I like it. Stealthing is camp. So so this one. So at the end of the hike, and 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 so I'm not going to put this at the hike because it doesn't really count as the hike. But right at that, between the end of the hike and the decision point, that's an hour. So, let's, okay, all right, because I, so I, I would say about the same thing, right, uh, let me, so let me, I'll add decision point in there, um, if they, if, so, if they had already decided, per chance, right, let's say when they first got the quest, they were like, oh, sure, we'll make sure to get the diplomacy for you, like, we will make peace with the goblins, and they commit to that. So if, if like, what do you... Part of this nope. exercise, too, is, like, what do you think your group would do? Do you think they so would want to stealth to attack or to stealth to diplomacy or to... Even if my group had decided diplomacy was the answer, if they could wipe the goblins out and not get caught, they might do it. Okay. You, we, we're talking about a group that ruined, ruined Tomb of Annihilation by seducing Yuan T and getting into the drug business. Yes. No, I'd suppose... Your group sounds so great. Not that my group's bad. If anyone's listening, I love you guys. But I I grew up as a player in my dad's campaigns and playing with him, and I know the quality of game that he contributes to, and it's the highest quality that there is. So I mean no offense, but that's the top. We, We could add you in on Monday. I I don't know that I can commit to that much. I know it'd would be, be so much fun. I would love to, but I I don't I don't know. 
And we're playing an adventure you've already played, so. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you did play with that group. You played Alien with that group. Yeah, yeah, Alien was all right. I was, I think we were all unfamiliar with the system, so. Yeah, but they, they behave pretty much the way they normally behave. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he's hurt. Let's leave him. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm going to turn the lights on. Do I see any of my friend's corpses? <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so you're gonna have a you're gonna have a 60 minute discussion before they even go in or do whatever they're gonna do. Absolutely. It 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 would pr- that would probably take us all the way to break. Yep. And 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 sometimes. The DMs just and not me. Some of the other DMs uh, have just kind of forced the issue. It's like, hey, the goblin sees you. Now, what do you want to do? It's like, oh shit, okay. So, um, the diplomacy and stuff that would actually run relatively quickly. They, my group again doesn't do. They do some role play, but if they have a a stat and a talent, they more they are more likely than not going to let the dice. Well, wait, wait. So you've got an hour at camp, ten minutes to to get up there, an yep. hour to talk before they even get into the the camp. And then, sorry, wake up at their camp before they get into the village, Goblin Village. Yep. We call it a village. Um, how long does it take for them to do? So it whether so if it was diplomacy, it'd be a very short time. But if there was a full combat, that would be. Full full combat would be another hour. Diplomacy would probably be fifteen minutes. Okay, so that's a, a fifteen or sixty. <laughs> so then that's your that's your three hours there. They don't even get to loot the bodies or go back and turn in the quest. Nope. We we would have to wait until next Monday to do that. Woof. I hear you there though, because I have a similar boat. Waking up a camp, I was gonna give it ten to thirty. Wasn't gonna give it quite as long. They don't do as as much frivolating, friv- whatever it is. Um, we call it putzing. Putzing, yeah, I like that. That's that's actually and 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 the group now has a social norm where it's like we've putzed. Like someone will say, "We've putzed long enough." Can we? <laughs> <laughs> we've putzed long enough, man. I wish my group would do that. We'll get there. Um, because when they're putzing, it's not. It's not that they are necessarily role playing and building anything. It's that we're off topic and put- putzing, I guess. So, um, so, so there's there's a mixture of that in my group, but yeah. it's more it's more in character type stuff. Mm. So, uh, you had twenty to sixty minutes to wake up. I have ten to thirty. Uh, you've got ten minutes to hike in the mountains to find the goblin camp. I'm gonna put that one at like. 10 to 20 for me because I have players that will want to you know be checking for traps or uh, I've got a druid who's very interested in looking for plants to pick every time she's in nature um, that's you know a mountain hike is you know I'm, I'm gonna bump that up to 15 to 30 minutes now that I'm thinking about it I was um, say you're gonna be a lot of nature checks and survival rolls and yeah notice- um, yep. the decision point is an interesting thing that I hadn't considered. Um, and even if my group had picked, I'm going to give them four. I'm not, nope, I'll do it. I'll, pu- I'll put an hour there. They they also like to like 
they'll end a session and make a plan, right? So like the session before this one, they would have ended it making their camp and they would have spent the last hour of that session being like, do we talk to the goblins or don't we? And then they're going to spend the 60 minutes here doing this. You know what? Nope. I'm going to say the decision point is going to be 30 minutes because they like to take action. But then as soon as they got into the camp, they would like one of the players would have seen uh, a, a goblin woman nursing a goblin baby and been like, oh, God, we can't do it. And so the the whole village camp would have easily been 90 to 100 minutes in my group. That's what I'm going to say for that one. Um, most of the episode, most of the session would occur doing all of that. Um, and then the resolution, what do I, that's an hour and a half. Resolution, maybe 20 minutes. And then return to townspeople would have been, you know, 30 to whatever I've got left, 45. Um 30, 60, uh, 90, hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, thereabouts. Um, and I'm, I think I'm underestimating things because I tend to do that as well. Um, but for a new DM out there listening, you can clearly see that even if you're an experienced DM trying to plan a, 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 fairly standard adventure for your group you're gonna run into weird little timing bits and that's why the pacing and the timing of narration oh excuse me why the pacing and timing of narration is so difficult because um, it really i don't know it comes out of experience and like you said knowing the group knowing what your players are going to want to spend time on mine is going to spend lots of time at the goblin village they're going to even if they were planning to fight the whole time, maybe they would still sneak in just to see how close they could get to the goblin boss so they could take him out and then maybe scare the plebs away and then spend a half an hour looking through all of the stuff in the camp. So, Yeah, my, my group would not. They, they, there would be some of that, but, but that would be done very, very quickly. It's like, hey, what's he got in his pockets? I'm going to I'm going to roll through and look I'm going to look for anything shiny and and valuable. Here we go. Quick tip. Do you do loot ahead of time or on the spot? Do you roll? Is it predetermined? Is it standard average loot? What do you do? So, I I've been GMing 7C now for a long long time and we don't care about loot in 7C. Okay. So, um, hasn't even the, been, hasn't even been a concern. Love it. The imp- things, the important items in Seventh C are all predetermined, right. um, and who hates them and that kind of thing. But the, you know, I'm gonna get a case of really good brandy. It's like, yeah, sure, go ahead, make a make a notice risk and see if the ship has good brandy. Oh, you didn't find it. You found a barrel of crappy rub. Sorry. Huh. Nice. Like it. But we did because we didn't do any of that in our seventh C game. No, we didn't. And I, it's, I don't know. That probably is a, a point that slows me down at that. Maybe that's maybe it's me. Oof. I mean, it, it, part of it probably is. I I do. Uh, I usually do quick loots. So I, I have a, a a web resource that I use that is random loot tables, and when yep. my party 
um, you know, kills a group of monsters, I'll just say, you know, collectively between the whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, between the four trolls, it's this much gold and this much other stuff. Right. Um, and maybe not. I guess that's probably fine. That feels feels pretty quick. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess the biggest part that I would recommend practice, like narrating is going to be a, um, it's going to be a trial and error thing. Uh, it's going to take time to learn how to pace and time it right. Um, you can plan all you want for it, but a uh, thing, your players will uh, give you something a little bit different. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I guess I don't have a whole lot more to say about it, do you? We kind of feel like I maybe I rushed through the end there, but we also got as much out of it as I think we needed. Make make sure you you're you are know your group, right? Yep. Know what they what they're looking for and then narrate action to fit that need. Right. If they want gory and yucky, then give them gory and yucky. If they just want, you know, you you hit him and he falls over, then you hit him and he falls over. Um, and then just do your homework. Yeah. Make, make sure, make sure you're not saying that a a crushing weapon leaves a slab a large cup that's bleeding profusely. It's like, no. Right, fire fireball is not going to leave the guy bleeding. It's going to leave him cauterized and scarred, scarred and and burned. Right. Yeah. Um, so have have a have kind of a sense for those things, and you get that by being inspired by all of the things that inspire us to play. Yep. Um, cool. I'm going to add when in doubt, don't over flavor, uh, especially if you're a new DM. Uh, you know, it, it's really nice to have that description, but it would be I, I would rather you say my longsword slashes the goblin and he starts bleeding than you reach back and swing your brandish your longsword forward, slicing him swiftly across his arm as he tries to retreat. Like it's 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 okay. Don't don't have to over flavor, um, especially in combat during other actions and other systems in Seven C. Uh, maybe that's okay in paranoia. Most of it is narrative, right? So flavor away. Um, but in five years, fiasco is all. Oh yeah, and it, it right. I don't, we didn't we didn't really get into enough like system talk this time. But I feel like we do it every time. Where like if you're playing this, then do this, and and you'll you'll get a sense of that when you read the books for the the system that you're playing. Um, I purposely was very kind of quiet about werewolf and vampire because those combats can get very graphic very quickly right and you're gonna decide in your session zero if that's what you want right so um i i would also add try to give all of your players equal screen quote-unquote screen time um yeah you know don't always pick to describe what the wizard's doing because he's got the flashy spells and the fighter's just swinging his greatsword um and we didn't talk about this at all up to this point but you can prompt your players to describe how you would do X, Y, Z thing. I think I even had it in the notes earlier. Um, yeah. Describe oh, yeah, how we... you 
kill the giant. Yeah. Describe how you communicate with the bear so he doesn't maul you. Describe how you slaughter three goblins in one turn. Um, it can make for a better shared experience and, again, sort of system-dependent. Uh, like, in 5e, as the DM, you kind of have narrative control, whether you want it or not, and in other systems, that narrative, con that idea of narrative control can shift to different uh, players. Um, so if you don't have a system, if you're not playing a system that explicitly injects or otherwise includes your players into the narrative, it's a good idea, usually, for you as the DM to prompt them to participate in all of this description. It's not a cop-out. Um, it's a great strategy for building that group cohesion and letting players participate. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it makes your job a little easier, too, <laughs> right? If you don't always want to be describing... You know, even and, if it's... Oh, go ahead. You have to make sure that you, you... Especially if you're playing a 5e Pathfinder, Starfinder, where hit and damage are two different roles, just because you got a massive... Like, I, I rolled a 19, doesn't mean I put my sword through his head. It means I hit him. Right. If I roll an 8 on my D8, that means I did some serious damage. I could, I could have hit him with great skill and you know not done a tremendous oh yeah you nick him and you take his earlobe his left earlobe off it's like oh one point of damage perfect yeah no that's a that's a good point too like if, if you would hit on a 10 and you roll Control. a 19 it's still just a hit right just just make sure that you your players understand that was if you give that control away they roll the to hit. Usually, I don't narrate until I know the hit and the damage. And the damage. Yep. Yep. Right. Me too. Wait. Wait for both. Wait for the full all the mechanics to stop and then do the story. And then do the story. Yeah. Um, I like that. And crits. Crits are 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 usually a a, a cool thing. Try to do something cool on a crit. And uh, nat ones yep. are a bummer. A lot of people do like negative effects on a net one but you don't have to it could just be you blunder uh you know you you you're you you hit a piece of armor and the great sword clatters out of your hands you'll have to spend a, a free a free action in 5e to pick it up like well if you fumble i mean if you fumble in dcc you're rolling on the fumble table right dcc handles that way better than 5e does because a, a a fumble a fumble is a fumble. Something you you should get hurt. You should take damage on a yep. fumble. Some something is going to happen. And, um, and players are like, "But I just it, no, you you fumbled. You 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 know you swung the sword and it hit the ground and chipped this. It damaged the sword. <laughs> That's usually what I'll do, right? Oh, you, everybody's so, got magic weapons, so either the sword is chipped or you sprain your wrist when you or something like you're you're going to take some damage here yep uh, or or the or the thing that you're using is going to take some damage some something's getting damaged on a fumble mhm mm a lot are of players. good it sucks i didn't roll the one you did <laughs> i had i had two separate fumbles um and uh, I I will give this other bonus point, kind of bonus advice section. Um, if you are doing negative effects on nat ones, 
for for a long time, I did. Uh, I would have my players roll uh, an extra uh, d20, and depending on if that was, uh, you know, if it was really high, like a 15 or better, maybe nothing would happen. Um, if it was was a you know other really low number, something worse, I would use that to sort of gauge how bad the thing was. Um, and that was a bad idea because I had players asking, well, like, what, why did, why was a 14 this and a nine was this? It's like, well, for, I'm not going to go into it, but don't worry about it. If something bad's going to happen, just have something bad happen, have it be fun and goofy and, uh, stay tuned for two episodes from now when we talk about feedback, because that is clearly what I am stuck on. <laughs> clearly what you are stuck on. I guess so. Um, all right. Uh, that is going to wrap up episode 26 on narrating action. If you would like to comment on the show, ask a question, get involved any which way, uh, please go to uh, Twitter and tweet at to 5 or at Red Hoodie Games. Um, if you want to support us any more than just listening to the show, head on over to patreon.com slash skoda that's s-k-o-d-a um and soon tm right before the end of january find your way over to redhoodiegames5.wordpress.com where i will put up that session zero checklist before the 31st there you go you heard it here first folks um and a little sneak preview for anybody who's listened this long Next episode is going to be swapping characters, uh, players and characters coming and going. So there you have it. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Good day. Good day.